Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Again, we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine and not human in origin. We hear at the river believing sola scriptura, which means the Bible alone. Let's say Bible alone. Bible alone. We also believe in sola fide. It's Latin and it means faith alone. Let's say faith alone. Faith alone. We believe in sola Christus. It's Latin and it means Christ. Christ alone. Let's say Christ alone. Christ alone. We also believe in sola gracia, a Latin phrase that means grace alone. Let's say grace alone. Grace alone. We also believe in sole deo gloria, a Latin phrase that means God alone receives the glory. Let's say God alone receives the glory. God alone receives the glory. He certainly will receive the glory here tonight. And I'm glad you're here as we look in the book of James. James chapter number 5. We're going to be looking at verse number 5. Now we got to move pretty quick tonight as we want to get to all the way to verse 20 and you know me I could take one verse and talk for an hour uh, God gave me the gift of gab he gave my dick and the gift of jab but I'm glad, that, I'm glad that you're here tonight as we open the Bible and we unpack it together look at your Bible look at it, verse number 10 as you remember that James is an, uh, an apostle he was actually the, the Lord Jesus' half brother now one thing I know is that it took a move of God to have a brother a physical biological brother to consider somebody else to be God. I got four brothers, and I can tell you they ain't God. Amen. They might be the devil, they ain't God. So it took a move of God to make the Apostle James to establish the church there in Jerusalem, and he wrote the he wrote the Epistle James. Now, the Epistle James is a very practical book. It's almost a, called the Proverbs of the New Testament. When you read the book of James, it's stuff that you can apply to your life, stuff that you can wrap your head around. You don't have to think too wildly or stretch too far. The cookies are on the bottom shelf. You could understand what you're reading. So we look at verse number 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfast of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's break down verse number 10. As he tells us about the patience of suffering in this little section, in this paragraph. He tells us to be patient in our suffering. Many times when we are suffering, we want out quick. Uh, recently I got a little sunburnt and I didn't realize how sunburnt I was until a little later. I'm like, I just wish I won't sunburn. I just suffered. And I know it's trivial to say, well, he's sunburnt. He, he, that's funny. But we do that with every little suffering that we come across. We want out as quick as possible. Well, we see the long suffering of Job here. What did Job, how did he suffer? He lost his family. He lost his fortune. He lost his health, wealth, and prosperity. He lost it all. But through it all, you know who was faithful? God. Uh, now, you may say, well, this is the long suffering of Job, but it was really the long suffering of God. Because if you ever read the book of Job, 30, 38 on back, they, they just slander God's name. They talk about God like He ain't even there. I mean, have you ever done that? Talked about God like He won't there? Oh, He ain't been faithful. He ain't helped me through nothing. What's He done lately like He ain't here? Has anybody ever done that to you? Talk about you like you ain't there? Mm, makes, your boil, makes your blood boil. That's what took place with God in His long suffering. He was patient when His name was being slandered. 
The patience of God. He has been faithful. He continues to be faithful. That's why he's talking here that we are to consider the patience, brothers, of the prophets spoken in the name of the Lord. We, we need to see in verse 11, he tells us, consider those blessed who are remaining steadfast. Steadfast means always pursuing, never faltering. Even when you're weak and you're feeble and your knees are buckling and you're tired and you're just weary. I'm talking about a weary here, not when you take a nap and you feel refreshed. That's not a weary. I'm talking about a weary is that you've done everything that you could do and you can't find satisfaction. You've done all that you can do. You've gone there, you've done that, done that, bought the t-shirt, sold it at the flea market. You've done all that. And you just ain't satisfied. There's a longing in your your heart and in your soul that you're just not content. But He tells us here, when we are weary, the Bible tells us in Isaiah that He gives strength to the feeble. Those who are weak and feeble, He will cause you to mount up on wings of eagles. Whoever's here today and you hear the bad news of somebody who's passed on and your heart is broken and you feel like there's a shadow that's fell over you. Yes, you can grieve, but you ain't done yet. Continue on the journey. Continue walking through the valley. Now we know that God will lead us through valleys because that's why Psalms 23 was written. If God only took us to the high points and only allowed us to jump from mountaintop to mountaintop, then we would never need times when we were afraid and we would never know that God will be there when we feel like we are abandoned. We would never know that He comforts us when we are broken. When our hearts are torn asunder and we feel like we are not anchored any longer, that's when God shows up and shows out and He proves His promises to His people. How else would you know that He sticks closer than a brother unless you've been abandoned? by family. How else will you know that you he, he mends the broken hearted unless your heart has been broken? Come, come, bring all your heavy hearts, your depression, your tears, bring them to Him. Cast your cares upon Christ because He cares for you. Whoever you are, don't stop. Don't give up. Don't, don't just say, I'm done. Turn your heart to Him. Even if you're weak and you're feeble, He gives strength to those who cannot keep calm. Keep on keeping on. Trust in Him. Amen. That was all in there? Yeah. How about that? That was all in that one verse. Do y'all, y'all didn't see that? Amen. He says, remain steadfast. That means set your heart on honoring Him. Trusting in Him. How many of us served other things? Trusting in other things. Leaning on other things. How hard did you serve those other gods, those old gods, but now you trust in Him. Lean upon Him. Come heavy laden. Come burdensome. Come broken hearted. Come torn asunder. Come even if you're in free fall. Come if you have no purpose. Come if everybody's abandoned you. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He'll never forsake you. He'll never look you up and down and say, Oh, you're too dirty. Oh, you're too messed up. You got too much baggage. Never, never will he reject you. Amen. Oh, that's maybe that's just good to me. Maybe I'm the only one. Praise you. We see. You have heard of the steadfast of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I, I like that. Let, let's, let's examine that for a minute that God is compassionate. That He's not up in ivory towers looking down upon us, looking at us as insects, saying, I ain't got time for that. That our God is compassionate. 
He sees your struggle. But that's the key. He sees your struggle. It's not that He's too busy and He don't see you anymore. He can't see me because there was a time when I was on top of the mountain, but now the mountain's on top of me. Does God see? Yes, He sees you right where you are. How come I don't feel Him? Well, we don't walk by how we feel. We walk by faith. Faith is facts. Facts do not change. And when I know the facts, it changes how I feel. Amen, somebody. That He won't forsake me and He won't leave me when everybody else can and does. Ooh, amen, somebody. That He's compassionate. But notice there, He's compassionate. It's one thing to be compassionate and not show mercy, but He shows mercy. He's merciful. Oh, let us bask in that. Let's baste in that. That God is merciful. When He should have killed you in your sleep last night, He stirred you away. He showed mercy upon you. Think of all the foolish things you've done throughout your life. And yet He had mercy on you up till now. Up till now. Oh, and up till now, He has shown mercy to you. That ain't worthy of praise. I don't know what is. Then we look at verse number 12. But of all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. In verse number 12, what James is trying to get across to you is that the God who shows compassion and mercy is the one who's in control. He is the one who handles all the business. He handles what's going on at the pet house to the crack house to the outhouse. He reigns over it all. From the dice that rolls in Vegas to what's going on in your life right now. He's in control of it all. And He's merciful and He has compassion upon you. So whenever we say yes, like I swear, I swear on the stars and the moon. You can't, you didn't hang the moon. You didn't hang the stars. So why don't you just let your yes be yes. Whenever you try to convince somebody, I swear on my grandma. I swear on my great granddaddy's eyes. I swear on it. And we want to make sure that somebody really believes us. The best thing you can do to honor God is just believe Him. If I were to ask you your name and say, what's your name? You say, well, my name's so-and-so. I don't believe you. No, that's really my name. No, I don't believe you. Let me show you my ID. That's my name. Oh, you could have printed that up at home. I don't believe you. That's an insult to you because I, I'm insulting your integrity. I'm not believing what you're saying. That's right. The same thing applies to the sovereign God of all creation when you just don't believe. Mm. Oh, you will not provide for me. Oh, you can't handle this. Now, I know you are a big guy, but this is bigger than you. I know you control everything, but you can't control this situation. I know you're merciful, but you ain't being really merciful to me. I deny your blessings that you poured upon me. What you done for me lately, God? How easily we insult our God. Just take a moment. Look over your shoulder. Look at where you've come from, where He brought you through. How He has kept you. How He has kept His hand on you. Kept you steady. As you know, i got two beautiful sons. And as they were younger, we would walk out of the grocery store and they, they liked to run. They wanted to just run to the car. And that's dangerous in a busy parking lot. So what I would have to do is grab on and hold on to them with a white knuckle grip. I got one who would want to twist out and just try to, but he couldn't. That's the story of every, each and every one of us. We think that we get ahead of God. That's not true. That His hand is on us. Even when we feel like we're lost, His hand is still on us. You're right where you need to be. Everything is going to be alright. God is in control. Amen. You, just, you just needed to hear that. That's all. He's steadfast. That means He don't change. 
from our study from the book of Hebrews, we've learned there's two things about God that you really need to know. He's immutable. That ain't the button on your TV remote that makes the TV be quiet. Immutable means He don't change. Yes. He never changes. How many people know people that seem like they've changed? Money changed them. Time changed them. Insults have changed them. Uh, situations have changed them. But God don't change. He loves you as much today as He did when He called you and saved you. And your failures and your sins don't change that. I, I like that myself. That He don't change. In a place in a season where everything changes, the weather changes. How many like this fall weather today? Amen, somebody. It was in the 70s. I figured like the dick was going to run around the room. Amen. It was a beautiful day today. Weather changes. Politicians change <laughs> daily. We, we, we've seen, uh, we've seen uh, uh, time changes. We've seen people change. You've changed since you got here. You got a little older since you came into the room. Your hemoglobins have changed in your bloodstream. Your oxygen levels, your sugar has spiked and it's gone down. We change. But one thing that don't change is God. He don't change. Oh, I can lay my head on my pillow at night with full assurance that my God does not change. That means he don't, he don't like me today and he, he, he kind of knows me tomorrow. And, he, and eventually he don't talk to me no more. That ain't how it works. My God don't change. That's good. That's my assurance that God don't change. Amen. Presidents change. One house is in control. The Republicans and Democrats, they fight. There's, there's been changes in our community. There's been changes uh, all across our culture. But God is established and He does not change. That's our constant. God don't change. And there's another thing about God you need to know. Is He don't lie. Amen. Our God don't lie. He does, it goes against who He is and His character. He's truthful. So when He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, you can bank on it. You can lean into that promise, believing that He will not leave you or forsake you. Amen, somebody. That's why we just uh, we model ourselves after Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ says this thing, you can bank on it. And if we are constantly making promises to people and backing out, then we have to keep adding more to our promises to add weight to it. So that's why we swear by this or add an oath or a covenant. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that you may not fall into condemnation. Now look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That's your antidote for your suffering. We establish a good theology of suffering here at the river. You better go, and ha go ahead and have a theology of suffering before you even suffer. That means if you come into hard times, you need to understand that God ain't mad at you. That he ain't pouring His wrath out on you. He poured His wrath out on Christ on your behalf. So why now do you face troubles and hardships? Well, the Bible tells us He's making us into the image of Christ. Much like this podium. You'll notice how I run my edges along the side. If somebody didn't come along and sand the sides, I will get splinters all in my hands and y'all don't want to see all that. I'm sure if this podium could feel when the sander went over it, it probably did not like it if it could feel. Much like when God prunes us and He shaves off the hard edges to make us into the image of Christ. That we don't enjoy it. We don't like it. But it's for our good. To make us more like Jesus. That's why that person annoys you so bad. 
That's why they push all your buttons to cause you to pray for them, to be in the image of Jesus. Because what if Jesus just cut off all the people that got on his nerves in his life? Where would we be? Thanks be to God that He prays for His enemies and He dies for His enemies. We talked about that this morning, Riverside. Will we pray for our enemies and for our hope friends and those who didn't come this morning? I want to encourage you for the next 30 days as we look in Luke chapter number 6, at the end of chapter number 6, Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies for the next 30 days. Why don't you pray for your enemies? I don't know about all that. I feel you. I understand. I understand. But if you can't pray for them, do it through clenched teeth. God bless them. And eventually your mouth will open and you will be able to tell God a complete sentence as your heart will soften and you learn that God is merciful towards His enemies, so you should be as well. Amen. Amen. That Christians should be the praying people, the forgiving people, the merciful people, the people full of grace because that's our God. That's what He does and that's what we do. We see that he says, if you're suffering, pray. If anybody cheerful, let him sing praises. That lets me know that life ain't all hunky-dory burritos and rainbows and ain't unicorns. That there'll be days that you're cheerful. And there'll be days that you're suffering. I'm not here blowing smoke in you in your eyes and trying to hide the fact that you will find yourself in tribulation. You will find yourself in the pit of despair. You will have hardships. But His faith will do it all. He's merciful. He continues to show grace towards us. I like that part, preacher. Can you say that again? Oh, I will. Okay, I sure will. That He's merciful and He's gracious and He does not abandon us. I, I, I like, a, I like a, a God who sticks with me in spite of me. I don't need a fair weather God. I got a, a lot of people in my life that have fair weather people that come around when it's fair weather. Oh, it's, hey, you doing good? Hey, where are we going to eat? <laughs> what, are we, what are we going to do? Let's hang out. Let's do this. You going to pay? Okay, you got extra money. Okay, I got you. But there's a select few friends that I had that are sticking with me like a gum on my shoe. I tell you, you can't get rid of them. You got to wipe them off. But even beyond that, I got a God who sticks with me, whose hand is on me, who will not forsake me in spite of me. That means even when I fail, He still loves me. Oh, will you say that again? I sure will. When I fail, He still loves me. While we were yet sinners is what it says. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means... I want you to realize that He's immutable. He don't change. His mind don't change over you. He died for you. He, he died for His enemies. He laid Himself down and He volunteered. And a God who knows everything, the moment you repent of your sins and trust in Him and submit yourself to God, He already knew that you are going to fail then and there and how. Right. Yet He still volunteered to die for wretches like us. <laughs> I like that. See, you know there's certain high points that I like. I hope you like them too. Because it gives you strength when your knees buckle and your eyes burn your cheeks because they're leaking. You know what I mean. Because your tears and you're weary and you don't feel faithful. It's good to know this morning that God is faithful. That He doesn't abandon us. He keeps on keeping on. He pursues us. He will not leave us alone. I'm thankful that God don't leave me alone. He don't leave me in my sin. In fact, He'll leave the 99 to find the one. He won't leave me because He's searching for me. Because I'm prone to wonder. Amen, somebody. He seeks me. 
I, I like that too. Yes, thank you, Lord. We see in verse 14, he's already told you, if you're cheerful, sing. If you're suffering, pray. In verse 14, is any among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Yes. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. In verse 14, we see community. That God has called us to have faith. But it's not a private faith. It's something that we do together. Why do you think He wired it that way? Why do you think He tells us in the book of Hebrew, deny not the assembly together? Because we're not to be long ranger Christians. Even Yogi had boo-boo. Amen. Amen. Andy, Andy had Barney. And that's all I got right now. I got, I got Tracy. I mean, well, you got to have somebody with you. You got to have somebody connected with you. Somebody who's there with you, walking in faith together. Because when one stumbles, you come along not to kick them or shoot them while they're down, but come along with them and pray over them. Find you somebody that'll pray over you and not plan your funeral. Amen, somebody. You just need to hear that. That's why it matters who's in your circle. Amen. That's why it matters who's your friends. Yes. That's why he tells us in verse 14, if you're sick, sick ain't just in your body where you got the sniffle, sick could be in your soul, that you ain't well, an illness. Well, what do you do? Let them call for the elders of the church. Well, how do you do that? Well, you got to be at church. Call for the elders of the church. Be at the church. Be there when the doors are open. Gathering there to break bread. Now, I know some of y'all ate lunch today. and You probably ate three or four times since then. I don't know. And you're probably going to eat again tonight. Because you need to nourish your body. You need the strength to keep your body moving, to process and to do labor. But how long has it been since you've broken bread, the Word of God? If I were to pull down my spiritual goggles and put them on my eyes and look at you, how malnourished are you? Is your kneecaps bigger than your thighs? Are you weak and feeble because you have not fed on the Word of God? I tell you, Twice a week or three times a week ain't enough to live on. You should be reading your Bible every day. For those who don't understand, every day. You need to read it every day, all day. Read it. Meditate. You got to read the whole thing. No. Just read enough and chew on that and draw from it. But when we come together, we come together, together, we pray for each other, encourage each other. In Ephesians, it tells us we stir each other up for good works. But notice you call for the elders of the church. The elders is not the older people. Those are the ones who are seasoned. You could have long flowing blonde hair and be young in the faith and young in, in body. Or it could be an elder who has no hair because they're going old in age. But the elders of the church are the leaders of the church. You call for them. Yes, hallelujah. Because you trust them. I tell you, if you don't trust the preacher, go ahead and get rid of them and get one you trust. If you don't trust your deacons, let's go ahead and find some you do trust. Because it really matters where you go to church and what teaching you're under. Here we see that the antidote to depression and brokenness in this world where it has no hope is if you're suffering, come and let them pray over you. If you're cheerful, sing. Because your song might even cheer somebody up. Right. Is anybody sick? Come, let us pray over you. Is what this says. And you notice in verse 14, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Yes. What's that mean? I don't care. Is that some kind of voodoo? What are we doing? 
pouring oil on people. What does it matter? Avocado oil? What's it? Sesame seed oil? Has it got to be peanut oil? What kind of oil are we using? That don't really matter. The power is not in the oil. Amen. The power is in the prayer. And we do what He tells us to do. You know what? We're going to do this tonight. If that's alright. We're going to do it if it's alright or not. We're going to do it. Because that's what the Bible says do. Yes. If you're suffering tonight, we're going to pray over you. If you're cheerful, we want you to hum a song, sing, encourage somebody. We're going to have the elders pray over some people tonight. See, we're not content to come here on a Sunday evening and just drink coffee and pat each other on the back and say, How are you doing? And just be like a veneer on the surface type conversation. We want to be in a death row with you in the altar and pray over you. That you, even though you're coming up for air, as you go back under, we're going to pray over you. That God releases that death roll on you. That God delivers you and sets the captive free. Whoever, whomever, whoever will, we, we'll pray over you. Because it says in verse, verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will rise, raise him up. When He raises you up, it don't matter who's trying to pull you down. He raises you up. He raises the dead. That's, that's our God. That's who we serve. How, how can He help me? He can set the captive free. He can actually pour grace upon you. Now the grace that we hear about is only a grace we say, well, He forgives me of my sins and He don't give me what I deserve. No, the grace I'm talking about is the grace that gives you the ability to please Him and want to please Him. That's grace. Yes. I need a new heart tonight. I need to be changed. I don't, I don't enjoy church. I don't love reading. My, I don't like praying. You need grace tonight. You need Him to pour it all over you, saturating your soul. Cause your heart to change like it says in Ezekiel 36-26. through 26. He tell, It tells there that He takes out the heart of stone and He puts in a heart of flesh. He sprinkles clean water on you and you become His people and He is your God. That's the story of regeneration. You must be born again. Amen. That's what it means He'll raise you up. Far too long you've been too low. It's time for God to raise you up. Far too long you've wallowed and mellowed and marinated in wicked things. Now it's time for God to cause you to live. Stand on your feet and walk out your faith with fear and trembling. It's time. Today's the day. Yes, sir. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. This applies to everybody. Amen. He forgives sinners. You've heard me say it here and I'll continue to say it for the next 60 years. Jesus died for sinners because that's all there is. Amen. That's all there is. Jesus died for sinners because that's all there is. In verse 16, Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. In verse 16, notice it says judge one another. Laugh at them, kick out, pick on them, pull out their... No, it says, therefore confess your sins one another and pray for one another. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody leaning against the cross saying, hey, I got to get some of this. This is good stuff right here. You got you to get some of this grace. No, we're on our knees beating our chest. Why would he save a wretch like me? Crying out to him as we enjoy and embrace his mercy upon us. And we pray for one another. That you may be healed. He will heal us. Are you wounded to the soul? Is your conscience wounded? Are you arrested? Are you in chains? You can't shake that lust. 
You can't get over that gossip. You're trying to shake it off like a monkey on your back. Your addictions and your favorite sins, your idol worship has got a stranglehold on you. Come to Jesus. Come and we'll pray for you, anointing you with oil. The prayer of the righteous person has great power in his working. We're going to revisit that here in a moment. But as we continue... In verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And when he prayed again, the heaven gave rain. The earth bore fruit. We see here that the apostle James tells us that Elijah was a regular flesh and bone man just like me and you. But he prayed to God. And we know that man has been to the moon. Uh, we've seen it on TV, right? It's all over the internet. Y'all heard that, that we've been to the moon. But that's not the greatest thing to ever happen in history. Man has been to the moon, but did you know God has walked the earth? Jesus Christ, a down-to-earth deity, has walked among us. He's shown mercy towards us. And what He does is now as He's ascended into glory is that He bows down and listens to us when we pray. The God of all creation who holds all things together by the power of His Word. This God actually bends down and hears us when we pray. That's glorious. That our God hears us when we pray. In verse 18, when he prayed again, the heaven gave rain and the earth bore fruit. I want to pray like that. I want to be able to pray that way. In verse number 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whatever, whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's the grand commission. We see in verse 19 and 20 that when you become a Christian, you don't have it all together. You can wander. You can find yourself somewhere you should not be. But then again, God always opens His doors wide and He receives His people. I got two boys. I always use them for an example. They'll have to put up with it for the rest of their life. But they couldn't say anything. Daddy, I hate you. Daddy, I don't want nothing to do with you. As they grow older, they probably will say that. They probably will do things that would disappoint me. They probably will do something crazy. They're much like their mama. They'll do something. I don't know they'll do something. But I tell you this, they will always be my children. They will always be my boys. So if you find yourself wayward tonight, if you're the prodigal, if you find yourself addicted to something, you can't shake it. You find yourself making mistakes and you're broken. Confused and you don't know what to do. You're still God's. He doesn't give up anybody. He doesn't just toss you away. You're His. Preacher, I like that. Me too. Ain't that something? That He loves me in spite of me. He didn't pull out my list whenever I come back and say, here I am, will you have me? He don't go, that's strike three. You remember last time. He don't do that. He forgives. I like that. God, uh, what about, are you going to give me a second chance? No, God don't give second chances. Let me go and tell you. He's not a God of chances. Because you didn't deserve the first chance. He's a God of grace and mercy. A God of forgiveness. I want you to focus in the last couple of minutes as we look at verse number 16. 
The prayer of the righteous person has great work in its power. I want you to notice that the prayer of the righteous availeth much is what we read in the King James if you're looking from that tonight. But maybe there's been times you've prayed and you didn't feel very righteous. Well, what does righteous mean? Righteous is in right standing with God. That means being, being someone who, who is, is uh, in good standing. Someone who is, someone who is a, a good terms with God, never betraying God. Or someone who is always on speaking terms with God. I, don't, I know most of y'all had never done nothing like that where you hadn't been on speaking terms with God. I know y'all have, but your preacher has. There have been times where I didn't feel close to God. Or there have been times where I've sinned against God and I needed grace. And I didn't have much righteousness. If not, let's be honest, I didn't have any of my own. I don't care how much you tithe, you cannot accredit accounts or, or accredit a, a, a surplus of righteousness. Doesn't matter how much you volunteer, you're not going to get a surplus of righteousness. You're not. Because the Bible tells us in Isaiah 64 verse 6 that our righteousness, the good things that we do, are filthy rags to God. Not many amens, but okay. We're going to still learn here tonight. If you would for a minute. So we'll understand what righteousness means. Because the Bible says, The prayers of the righteous availeth much. If you turn to Matthew chapter 22, we're going to go back into James as we finish up James tonight. I, you, you can't leave without seeing this. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells a parable. He tells of a parable where uh, someone who is a great uh, ruler has a party. Hey, everybody loves a good party. We're having one tonight. Hey, hey, hey. We're looking at Matthew chapter 22. It's in the New Testament. If you're in James, just go over to the left just a little bit. And Matthew chapter 22. Help your neighbor if they can't find it. I, I want them to see this. You've got to see this. It's too important not to see this. In Matthew 22... And again, Jesus spoke to them. We're looking at verse number 1. A parable saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Verse 3, And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. And he sent other servants saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calves to be slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One, of his, one to his farm, another to his business. Notice in verse 5, those who have been called, they are too busy to attend the party. In verse number 6, while the rest seized the servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. In verse number 8, and he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite them to the wedding feast, as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. Verse number 11, this is what you really need to see. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was one man there who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how is it that you, that, that you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. That means he had nothing to say. In 
verse 13, the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him to outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but the chosen are few. Wow. He didn't have a tuxedo on, so they tied him up and threw him into hell? That's what you're saying here? I want you to understand that the king threw the party. And he says, come to the party. Everybody, anybody, come. Because the people I invited, they would not come. So who does he invite? Anybody and everybody. So they come. But I know something about any and everybody. Not everybody's on equal ground. Because it says good and the bad. The good might have a little bit of nice clothes to wear, but the bad probably don't. Maybe the bad has the best looking clothes and the good don't have any clothes. I don't know. I can't tell you that. But you'll notice that the king walks among the people at the party and he finds somebody not dressed for the occasion. That's what it says. He looks at him and says, why don't you have wedding garments on? You're invited here. I, 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 I supplied everything you need, but you're not dressed. Well, what you need to understand is when the king threw the party, he supplied everything. The food, the barbecue, the wings, the collards, greens, potatoes. You know, he's got it all. He's got it all. It's all supplied. But what he also supplies is the garments. Amen. That means when you get to the door, they say, hey, put this on. Wrap this on around you. Put this on. Cover yourself with this. Okay, I, I'm following you that the king supplied everything. I'm telling you today that he's called you to, do, to the family. He's called you to the, the banquet. And you don't have the righteousness you need. You don't. Amen. That means the good works you need to be pleasing to God. You don't have it. You just don't. You can't tithe enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't memorize the Bible enough to please God. You just can't. Because of all the dirt you've done, it will not tilt the scales and make them even. Even if you started today living holy and righteous before God. What about all the things you did yesterday and decades before that? All the sins you've committed before God. Just one sin is enough to separate you from Him for an eternity because you've sinned against the Holy God. So you need God to supply something for you, to cover you. And He supplies it. Righteousness. Righteousness that you didn't even buy. Righteousness that was placed upon you. Where did this righteousness come from? Did He go to the, the broom closet, pull it out, and wrap it around me? No! The story is that Jesus, Jesus, y'all remember Jesus. He's why we're here tonight. Jesus, a down to the down to earth deity. He was God in the flesh. You'll learn more about that next week as we look at Colossians. That was the exact imprint of the living God. He is God in the flesh. That's what we believe, and that's what you should believe. That Jesus bore our sins in his body, died for my sins, my failures. My rebellion against the Holy God. When I shook my fist at God, He showed mercy on me and poured the wrath out on Jesus. And get this, He volunteered to do it. He laid Himself down to die for a wretch like me. It was me. It was my sins that put Jesus to the, to the cross. I hope you can feel the nails in your hand right now. I hope you have, you can feel the hammer in the other hand. Because of you and me, it's because Jesus died. Right. Now, we've established that. But all the good things Jesus did, 
Never sinning against the holy God. Never backhanding anybody with a backhanded compliment. Forgiving, showing grace and mercy. Healing all the good things that were accredited to Him were placed on me. I was here with Kyle just for you and me. All the good things that Jesus did. All the kind words He spoke to His enemies. All the people He healed. All the long-suffering and the patience He had with stupid questions was accredited to me. This is called the great exchange. We find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17-22. That He took Him who knew no sin to place on Him the sins that we might find the righteousness of God. So the garments you need, the righteousness you need, you are wrapped in it this, this evening. He has wrapped you in righteousness. Now we fall back. Let's fall back. Back in James chapter number 5 yet again. When He says, The prayers of the righteous person availeth much. This tells me that if you're in Christ and He's applied and has you wrapped in righteousness because you have submitted your life to Him. I didn't say you was perfect. I'm saying you're trusting and leaning on Jesus, His power. You're leaning on His righteousness and you're wrapped in His righteousness. It availeth much, which is old school saying, it matters when you pray. God hears you when you pray. And that should make you shout. It should make you want to do cartwheels. That our God hears us when we pray. I like that part. And I know you do too. He wraps us in righteousness. So God saves us by Himself. For Himself. To Himself. That He alone receives glory. And then He hears us when we pray. So maybe this morning or this afternoon or whenever you are listening to my podcast and those who are gathered here tonight, you may not feel righteous that's alright. He supplied the righteousness. All the righteousness you need. All the pre-qualification in to get into heaven. You're pre-approved. You ever get those calls? You're pre-approved for this much amount. For 30% interest. Oh, what? Thanks a lot. There's no strings attached. He supplies all the righteousness you need. And you know what that does? It doesn't make me want to go sin more. So He'll forgive me more. What it does is it breaks me. Grace just snaps me in half. And how could, he, how could He forgive me of the wicked things I've done and supply me with everything I need and then listen to my request? That's a God that I want to serve for the rest of my days. Amen. Amen. To those who are here tonight who believe He won't hear your prayer, it says there He will. Because He supplies the righteousness. The prayers of the righteous avail much. So what does He tell us about the prayers of the righteous? He tells us to pray for those who have committed sins. Those who need to be raised up. He tells us for those who are afflicted in their body, in their mind, in their soul. The call for the elders of the church. We'll pray over you. So what we're going to do, if you consider yourself an elder, come forward. Let's pray for somebody. And you know who you are. I ain't got to call you out. If you're an elder, come on. And we got His oil here. And what we're going to do, there's no magical power in the oil. I'm going to tell you, I know I've got to start David on It's just decoration. I'm just telling you. So what the oil is, is what we're doing exactly what the Bible says. Some of y'all have never done this before. And I know, that's a shame. You ain't really been to church. You haven't really been to church. But you're going tonight. And I'm glad you're here. Because what we're going to do with the Bible says, you know that's weird that we just do what the Bible says? That's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for those who are afflicted in the mind, in the soul, in their body. We're going to put oil. I ain't going to drip 
foot all over you. It's okay if you want me to. I will. But I'm just going to put a little cross on you. And what we're going to do with the Bible says, we're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray over you. And you know what? In the moments you feel the elders, there's nobody special up here. We just like y'all. But we're leaders in the church. We live our life by what the Scripture says. And we want you to do the same. And we're just doing what the Bible says. So if you want to be prayed for, come right here. And what we're going to do, we're going to pray over you. And you're going to feel these hands of these elders and leaders of this church praying for you. And what you'll do is remember tomorrow that somebody laid hands on you and prayed for you. And it's going to give you strength. And you're going to remember me yelling in your face that God has supplied all the righteousness you need. And you're going to be all right. Well, you're extra happy. Let's pray for this one first. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>